and welcome. You are listening to the Healing After Birth podcast. This is Jennifer Sommerfeld from JS Coaching, author and creator of the Healing After Birth program. This podcast is for you if you can relate to any of the following statements. Are you a mother who is struggling in the postpartum? Did you have a difficult, challenging, or traumatic childbirth experience? Do you want to learn more about postpartum mental health? Do you want to cultivate healthy, thriving relationships? And do you want to take charge of your healing journey? This podcast includes both interviews by professionals in the field of maternal health, as well as vulnerable stories shared by everyday mothers like you. Let's begin. Hello, Mama, and welcome back to the Healing After Birth podcast. This is Jennifer Sommerfeld, your host, creator, and author of the Healing After Birth program. On today's podcast, I'm excited to have with me my guest, Dr. Doug Tatarin. He's a registered clinical psychologist, a life coach, and the originator of the Bioemotive Framework. He and his team are busy creating products and programs that teach people healthy emotional processing and feeling-based communication. You can learn more about Dr. Doug Tatarin's work at www.bioemotiveframework.com. All links will be in the um, podcast bio. So I'm so excited you're here, Doug. I know that uh, we have known each other for a little while, and I can't wait to dig into a conversation with you about the work that you're doing and how it can be helpful for the mothers and the listeners of this program. So welcome. Hello, Jennifer, and I'm quite excited to be here and uh, quite honored to be asked, actually. And um, I think you're doing a wonderful work, and I've, I've known you long enough to know that we've both been struggling with getting our work out into the world, and I've admired how far you've come in your perseverance, and um, honored that I get to be part of that process, Jennifer. Mm, well, thank you. I really appreciate hearing that. And also, I just appreciate your wisdom and the years of work that you've put into creating this feelings-based communication program. And... I think that that is a wonderful place for us to start. I'd like to hear more about what you mean by feelings-based communication. Wow. Um, (laughs) Where to start? Because, you know, one of the things that has come up for me, um, uh, like even my my, um, website, it's called the Bioemotive Framework. Mm -hmm. And that's because I came out of academia and I needed a label for the kinds of things that I was doing in it. You know, it's close to bioenergetics and stuff. But I, if I were to rename my website, which I think it's kind of too late, but I'm, I'm kind of moving more towards calling it um, resonance-based emotional processing. And that actually captures the same essence in that in the bio part of bioemotive, mm. I'm honoring the body. And that's where the resonance comes from. Hmm. And what I'm kind of teaching is that most of us live in our heads 
even when it comes to trying to understand our emotional system. Hmm. And if we learn to listen to the body, we can actually get more in touch with our emotional system. And we, we listen and hear our emotional system in our body through what I call resonance, hmm. which is that activation that comes about when you're going in the right direction of finding the feelings that we're looking for. And I know I've now talked a long time without any, hmm. you know, you saying anything. Hmm. Well, that's what it's <laughs> about. One <of> the, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, one of the, um, I think the important distinctions that comes with my framework is I've got a very specific definition of feelings and a very specific definition of emotions. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very different uh, processes. And yet in our culture, in our, in our language, we often use them interchangeably. I'm just going to interject there before we dive into that, Doug, because since knowing you and reviewing your materials and even incorporating some of it into my own practice and work, I, every time I hear the word emotion and feelings, I think about you and what you would say about it. And then I think about, am I using it correctly <laughs> and, and so I know you're going to unpack that, um, those two concepts, but uh, I just wanted to say how confusing it can be because we do use them interchangeably. And I'd like for our listeners, and, and we're going to get more specific to how this will apply to, to moms, especially moms in the postpartum, um, but uh, I'd love for them to be able to understand what you've discovered in your work with feelings and emotions. Yeah. So while we're talking about definitions, I, I'll also bring in one other construct because we use it interchangeably with feelings. And that's the idea of sensations. Hmm. So when, if we're going to really speak accurately about what's going on in our body-mind systems, we need to make the distinction between emotions, feelings, and sensations. So in, in, in the way that I've come to see it and, and frame it, which makes a lot of sense to me and most people who learn this, sensations are the actual um, physiological activity that we, we have going on in our body. I can have sensations in my belly. Mm -hmm. I can have sensations in my muscles, sensations in my eyes, right? Those are like the physiological mm -hmm. processes. Heart palpitations, shallow Heart breathing palpitations. in my chest. Right. And there's a lot of different reasons to have sensations in the body. As I'm sitting here, you know, in a, on my bed, I can feel the sensations of the soft new mattress that we have. Hmm. And that's just physical sensations. Now, emotion. So let's reconnect, regroup. We um, just got cut off there a few times. And so I'm, I'm joining with Dr. Doug Tataran again. And we're going to pick up where we left off. And we were talking about the difference between sensations, body sensations, feelings, and emotions, and the language that we use to explore each of those. So, Doug, I'm going to let you take over here. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And, you know, as we're speaking about this, it's like I usually don't go into this level of detail um, when I'm talking about the framework. And I'm thinking about 
um, the fact that we're actually talking to mothers. And <laughs> I, I actually believe this is a really important um, information for, for people, particularly mothers, to understand. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of the power of doing this level of kind of differentiation on your experience. Mm. Um, I, I have... I have a clinical practice and to accommodate um, one of my clients who was a mother, I met her at her home and we would work in her office space. And I probably, she was um, a third party payment. So that she was on disability hmm. and living at home with a young child who was about two and a half years old. And I saw her over about eight months to a year. Hmm. And the child was very well loved and really um, an only child. So had a lot of attention. And what was interesting is um, he got to know me over time. He also got to know that whatever was going on in the other room was important work. Right. And, hmm. and not to disturb us unless it was important. But one day, um, I guess she had, she had really assimilated this language and, um, was using it with her child and so one day he knocks on the door really kind of exasperated and upset but what was really impressive he wasn't having a tantrum he could just tell he was really upset hmm. and he knocks on the door and we we know that it must be important because he's doing that and she opens the door and he looks at her and says mommy I'm feeling really insignificant and alone right now <laughs> Mm. you know and mm. and and it was like such a beautiful and clean communication um that he was making to his mother and his mother responded just perfectly she bent down to his you know his level because he was only two and three two or three years old and gave him a big hug and said oh you're such a wonderful boy i appreciate you telling me how you're feeling you know, I'm missing you too. It's just that we're doing really important work in here. Um, can you hold on for another 10 minutes and then I'll come and spend time with you. And the kid had already just melted and absorbed the love and the, you know, the, the respect that he was getting from his mother and just mm -hmm. sort of pulled back with a big smile and said, yeah, I'm feeling really good now. You know, I can wait. And you know, went back to play with his toys, patiently waiting for us adults to do our work. And when I think of all of the other ways that event could have happened, mm -hmm. like that he might have just had a meltdown and, you know, broke something or started crying just to get his mother's attention. But he knew what he was feeling. He had differentiated it <laughs> at a level that, um, you know, few adults could do. And it was a beautiful communication to just interact with and to, to see and witness, you know. And, and just highlighting that his capacity to do that, you're saying, is because you had been working with this mom and teaching, yes. teaching her this, this kind of way to communicate with both herself and others, which then in turn was being passed on to her child. And, yes. and, you know, so that just really highlights that uh, you can keep going, but I just wanted to interject because that highlights a belief and a teaching that I share often, which is 
as you do your work as a mother and as you learn the skills to be able to be with what is arising within and identify it and name it and move it and shift it, you're going to teach your children to do the same. Yes. Yes. And, and while we're on this theme, like Hmm. there's millennials, like teenagers are having a rough time right now. Hmm. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, but I've had a, quite an increase, I would say, of referrals for, you know, teenagers, you know, between the age of 15 and 20 kind of thing, mm-hmm. where they're having just a really rough time in life. And often teenagers don't want to come in and talk to someone. Some of them do, but some of them don't. And almost all the time, the mother comes in for the first appointment or is the person making the appointment. And what I've found over the years is that, especially if the mother has a good relationship with the, the child, that if the child, if the, the teenager even doesn't want to come in, but the mother will come in and speak about the issues that she's having with the child and look at how she's processing her feelings and emotions, that every time that's happened, within three to six months of me working with the mother, the mother has a totally different set of skill sets and ways of interacting with the child and is modeling a different way of being with your feelings and emotions. And the child's problems start going away, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But both because they're getting a language to deal with their issues more effectively and because the mother and the child develop a better relationship and are able to start communicating about emotions and feelings more effectively in ways that actually resolve things. Mm. And because, you know, the, the, the child is seeing the mother interacting with the world differently and coping with stresses differently and, and it's being modeled to the child. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. it, it, it really does speak to how feelings and emotions are, are very, very interpersonal and, largely learned at an unconscious level right absolutely mm-hmm. how we as adults and parents deal with stress deal with our emotions mm-hmm. are going to be communicating to our kids how to deal with them and and, and so, so that's um you know language that i often use is when it comes to how we deal with stress just as you were saying is that it's information and it's, it's energy, it's information, it's material that we're experiencing, usually inside of our body and our psyche. And many of us just don't know what to do with that information. We've just never been taught how to make sense out of it, how to move it, how to not be afraid of it. And so it's yeah. usually bigger than what we, it's, we make it out to be bigger than what it actually is. So, so I want to hear more about, let's go back to the definitions of feelings and emotions so that we can start to talk about and almost demystify this idea that many of us have, which is that it's dangerous to feel too much. Oh, dear. Yeah, I forget that that's where some people live still. Um, I keep putting that back 50 years, but like there are pockets of people that are still there and I understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, p- part of it has to do with our culture. So we've used the word stress here, mm-hmm. and 
you know, we're all in many ways trying to understand like what is stress and why do some people get really stressed out under the same conditions that other people aren't getting stressed out of. Right. Like you can have two people going to the same work environment and one person's really stressed and the other person isn't. Right. Or, or as I say in my book, you can have two of the similar birthing experiences and outcomes and one person will internalize that as a, a trauma uh, trauma response and somebody else won't yes mm-hmm. and that has to do with what we bring to the situation mm-hmm. right and what that is is our emotional history mm-hmm. and and often what i call our accidental conditioned history mm-hmm. And we don't do a good job um, honoring our emotional system in our culture in that even the word stress, like you're calling it information. Mm-hmm. And I've, I can see a- how energy that's Energy and information. Mm-hmm. And I look more at the energy component of it. Mm-hmm. That anything that's stressful, we're kind of pointing out there. But really, the stress is happening inside in our energetic reactions to what's out there. Right. And so if we can learn to interpret stress as meaning I'm emotionally activated Mm -hmm. and I don't know how to resolve it, then it becomes a different sort of endeavor. We can go, well, how do I resolve this emotional activation? Right now, that's why two people can see the same thing and and have it affect them differently because they're reacting energetically emotionally differently to the same stimuli Mm -hmm. and what what i try and teach is to have people recognize that that reaction is telling them more about themselves than what's out there Mm -hmm. so now we're going into details of you know how to do this processing and being cued for it before i've actually done the definition so maybe we'll step back a little Mm -hmm. bit Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the four different dances that can happen in your body that we all refer to as kind of being stressed out, right? Because there's basically there's four emotions. And if they get activated, at least three of them, because the happy one tends not to cause a lot of distress. But the other three, sadness, fear, and anger, when they get activated, we tend to say we're getting stressed out. And so right there, we can sort of differentiate that our stress is coming from one of three different types of energies, and we have to move into those energies and process them. So now, this notion of these four different emotions, and and we were trying to differentiate them from, from feelings. So I define emotions as an energetic dance in the body that's pre-programmed genetically that once it gets triggered, it has a, a predetermined sequence that it will go through. And the only variation you have is how severe or how big will the reaction big be, hmm. right? But if you think of the stress response, you, you must have learned that in psychology. You remember mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the fight-flight response? Yeah, I mean, I teach about this all the time because it's yeah. in, interconnected to trauma. But yes, go on. Yeah, so w- what are the markers of the fight? Do you call it the fight-flight response? 
Sometimes, yeah. Or the activated yeah, or, or stress response, survival stress response. response. I like survival response um, because that's that's what it is. <laughs> so, well, those, it, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually encourage people to differentiate it further mm-hmm. so that it's no because we have two survival emotions, which mm-hmm. are the fear and the anger response. So mm-hmm. if either of them get triggered, we have a pre-programmed set of chemicals and hormones and neuronal activations. My pupil will dilate. My blood will shunt away from my extremities, you know, or, you know, all these like nuanced parts of activation that we call the stress. (laughs) I'm just checking. (laughs) Uh, So I I do want to go back to talking about um, this difference between sensations and feelings and emotions. Yes. And particularly, I, I, I'm doing that in the context that um, I don't normally go down to this level, but I think particularly because your podcast is, is aimed at mothers and mothers have, you know, um, such an important role to play in the education of our children. Um, even with all of the changes in the last 20 or 30 years, mothers still spend a lot of their time with the children and being responsible for transmitting some really basic information about life um, to, to to the children. And mothers are also, I think, um, much more in touch with their bodies than men. You know, I, I don't like making generalizations like that, but there's a lot of, when I think of women and mothers, um, I, I have a lot of respect for just how grounded they are and how connected to the earth um, women tend to be um, just in being that gender. And this information about um, sensations and feelings and emotions is actually really good information to make sense of the body and what's going on in it and to have a language to communicate um, both to your peers and to your children how to um, how to have discussions about really subtle parts of what's happening in the body mm. the the word feeling when i when i was spending a lot of time with this and coming up with the notion of emotional feelings i realized that we have a lot of different types of feelings. So we can have what I call appetitive feelings, like, and they, they have to do with our hunger. Like I can be mm-hmm. thirsty or hungry, or I can have a, a, a feeling of nausea, and they're all coming from my appetitive system. Um, my, my skin you know, has feelings of temperature, hot and cold. Um, I can have sexual feelings, right? So there's a whole class of feelings going on in our body that how I've come to define them is that they're coming from specialized processing modules that do all of this information processing and then they dump the results of that processing into the intellect, which is where most people are living most of the time. Our culture is very intellectually oriented. So when we say we have a feeling about something, what we mean is that one of our specialized modules, whether it's the appetitive system or our temperature sensing system or 
our emotional system has done a bunch of processing and it's giving us the conclusions of all that processing into the intellect. So the intellect can say, oh, I have a feeling about that person or I'm feeling hungry without knowing all the chemical things going on that would make that feeling of hunger happen. So I'm gonna differentiate that what we're gonna be talking about today when we say feelings are gonna be emotional feelings. Okay, does that make sense to you? Yes. Keep going, it's great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. Now, we often use the word feeling interchangeably with emotions. And that's sort of one thing that I need to clarify. And we also use the word feelings interchangeably with sensations. And so what I'm going to do is define sensations as any kind of activity in the body that is bringing our attention to it. So I can have sensations of hunger. Um, I can have sensations of heat or cold. And, and you notice that I could have called these feelings, but I'm trying mm -hmm. to use that word specifically for emotional feelings. So mm -hmm. when I use the word sensations, I'm pointing to stuff in the body. And what's going to be important about that is that we feel or we experience emotions largely as sensations in the body. Okay? So when I put together the bioemotive framework and I ended up teaching people how to sort of re-invoke their natural healing or their natural emotional healing process, I based it on following the activation or the sensations in the body to give you guidance as to whether you're going in the right direction or not. And I called that activation resonance. Now the re resonance, if you, if you have any you know, uh, background in music means that, you know, two things are vibrating at the same rate and they'll, they'll kind of start being mm -hmm. in tune with each other. When we have a really deep conversation with somebody that you just met or, you know, you can say, well, I really resonated with that person. It means I'm really vibrating in sync with that person. So what, what I am, um, what I've been teaching is this resonance based emotional processing and it's asking more from people than we've ever really asked of them before hmm. in the past we just needed to know what our emotional state was and we don't even as a culture do a good job on that because if you look at the different theories there's anywhere between 8 13 and 4 different emotions and and how I've come to see it is that there are four emotions, happy and sad, and I call those the social emotions. And then there's the survival emotions, which are anger and fear. And they're emotions because they're genetically programmed in our bodies to have a, a specific sequence and pattern of activation that will mobilize our bodies to run further or fight harder mm -hmm. than they would normally do without that activation. And it's universal. Anybody from any culture, when they get triggered, will have the same anger response internally. Mm -hmm. It might show up on their face slightly differently, 
right? But it will be the same genetically programmed anger responses we have here in North America. And it's actually pretty much the same genetically programmed response that dogs have and any mammals have because they have emotional systems as well. Mm-hmm. So any, so any mammal with a limbic system. Any, any mammal with a limbic system will generally have these four emotions. And, and when can we interchange genetic with biological? Um, yeah, though what I am saying is that it is genetically programmed in our biology, that it's coming from our DNA, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's so that that's a whole other conversation that I'd love to have with you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't know if there's, is is there a reason that you'd prefer the word biological as opposed to kind of genetically programmed? I'm just noticing that when I hear you say that, it's almost like a part of me tunes out. uh, And I'm not sure if it's connected to the word genetic, and that could just be some kind of bias or belief that I hold. Versus Mm -hmm. when I hear we have like a biological imprint or a biological program, uh, that you know releases these chemical responses, these the this chemistry that we call you know emotion, and we've identified them and labeled them as such. Um, but that that releasing of that chemical produces these results. Right, the chemicals, the hormones, mm-hmm. the yeah, that neurological whole, patterns, yeah. that whole, whole system patterns. Yeah. Yeah, that there's like a a, a whole, yes, exactly. And so I don't know why, and I'm just imagining, you know, our listeners are maybe bored by this right now because we're getting into the nitty gritty of the the biology, but this is actually what excites me. And I will say why I think it's imperative that we understand this to this degree, because when we can um, truly let this in on that left brain, that kind of, you know, reasoning side of things to understand this language we can trust the process more and that's so important well and the other reason to that i emphasize the genetic and the biological is to respect that it's happening at a level that's pre-rational and that a lot of people would like to make their emotions disappear Mm. and try and think them out of existence but that's so hard to do because we're genetically programmed to have yes. these biological reactions. And so yes, what I strive for is integration, not beautiful. overriding. Beautiful. Right? And that's very similar to the teachings of um, Porges and the neuroception, this idea that um, we are being triggered in responding and reacting to our environment through these energetic cues before we can even rationalize it, right? So there's that sense that, how come I didn't have any control over this situation, right? And Dan Siegel talks about flipping our lids. And so this information is coming in so rapidly. And as you said, based on a genetic imprint and that we can't override it through reason. No, no, because it's, so this is where I talk about the triune brain that Paul McLean brought into existence in the 70s that I really have come to appreciate from a clinical perspective and one that's getting more and more traction in the neurological world where they're really starting to honor the modular nature of the brain. 
-hmm. And so, you know, the, the physical brain looks after the body and he called that the reptilian brain. And then we evolved from reptiles into mammals, largely by adding the limbic system or the emotional brain over top the reptilian brain. And suddenly they could regulate body temperature, right? By dumping chemicals and they were no longer dependent on the sun for their metabolism. And it also allowed them to turbocharge their systems. And we call that turbocharging anger or fear, right? When you dump in the chemicals to get that much more mileage out of your system, mm -hmm. you know, under those stress conditions, you can't stay there too long because we know from Hanselia's work that if you stay into the exhaustion phase, you're going to deplete the body and bring disease and disorder mm -hmm. to the organism, right? Mm-hmm. But after the emotional brain came in, we evolved the neocortex, the primate brain, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I call the intellect. And so literally, you know, we have in our noggins here, three fairly distinct and independently operating brain modules. The, the physical brain, which is kind of processing its specialization. We don't have to think about breathing or heart rate or glucose monitoring. It's doing all that, right? The emotional brain is specialized in interpersonal relationship dynamics, and we'll speak more about that in a second. And then the intellect gets to think about things and do abstract kind of reasoning and scenarios that are for the first time kind of independent of the immediate moment both the physical and the emotional brains live in the immediate moment and the intellect can actually speculate about the past and the future but it also my experience has been that when we perceive the world when we hear something it actually goes up into the physical brain gets translated into you know sounds and 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 words and then it gets processed in the emotional brain for any valence and meaning that you know should be there like if we see a snake the emotional brain will respond with a certain kind of energy than if we're just seeing a coil of rope right or a, a leaf so the emotional brain adds the valence it says what's important and then it gets to the intellect and so that's why emotional responses are so hard to override by the intellect. It's because they're happening probably 20 to 100 milliseconds earlier in our perceptual process than the intellect is coming in to that information. Mm -hmm. That all make gonna, sense to you? It, yeah. it, it absolutely makes sense to me. And I think the way that you're describing it and explaining it is very digestible. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that I think it will make sense to anybody who. Uh, welcome back, Doug. We had some technical difficulties and I'd like to pick up where we left off from our previous conversation. And, you know, just highlighting that we did talk a bit about sensations, feelings and emotions and the differences between them as well. You started to unpack the three brains or the triune brain. We talked about the reptilian physical brain, the limbic brain or the emotional brain and the intellectual brain or the um, neocortex. And then we were beginning to dive into 
the emotional experience and why emotional responses are so hard to override. So can we pick up there? Maybe you can um, kind of answer that question again. Yeah. The, um, at, at one level, if you just look at the anatomy of our brain, um, our senses all get processed first by the physical brain, right? That's what it does. It creates the basic world that we're living in. And then once it's done its job, those, uh, the world that's being created and the objects that are being created then get passed on to the emotional brain. And what I've ascertained, the best way to look at what it does is it adds valence to the various objects that we're seeing in our environment, to the world that we just created with our sensory brain. So if what does it, valence mean? Valence means um, emotional energy. Okay. It means importance, right? So if I'm walking in a forest and I see a slight flicker to my left, right, that experience that my emotional brain, I mean, that my physical brain has just processed, when it shows up in my emotional brain, my emotional brain goes, uh, careful. Fast motions are often associated with danger. And so then I turn and I look at the flicker. I'm not going to be looking at the flowers with the same valence, right? I'm mm. not going to be looking at the, the birds and the other things. So the emotional brain just adds that extra valence to what's going on. And then once it's added the valence, it passes that information to the intellect. And then the intellect thinks about and ruminates on the stuff that the emotional brain has found important, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's that basic, you know, upwards flow of information and the intellect is the last guy to the party. And yet we often act as though the intellect is like the taskmaster that's sort of modulating all those activities and mm -hmm. in control of them, but mm -hmm. he's not. Mm -hmm. And one way that I've come to see it is for the most part, our culture, all the people in our culture live in the intellect. Not, not all cultures do that. Some cultures are much more emotionally based or much more heart based, right? Mm -hmm. And, and their thinking processors are much more secondary. Whereas for us, we, we teach thinking right from grade school, right? Mm -hmm. And, and we make that a primary way of being in the world so that um, essentially when we talk about what we're conscious of, we're conscious of our intellect and what are we unconscious of? We're unconscious of the emotional brain processes and the physical brain processes. Mm. Right. And, and highlighting again that the physical brain is the reptilian brain. Yes. It's, mm -hmm. it's the, just the basic thing that creates, it's a basic neural, you know, substrates that create the world that we see, right? And then mm -hmm. the emotional brain adds the valence and says, what's important, right? So mm -hmm. if you if you think of you, about your day, if you look around your room right now, what do, do they all, do all the objects have the same valence to you? Do they all have the same emotional importance to you? Mm -hmm. You're asking me. I'm asking you. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess we can ask our listeners too, to do the yeah, same thing. Yeah, that's a good, a good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, no, obviously not. There's certain things that stand out that attract my attention and curiosity. 
Right. So I'm I'm looking over at a an image a uh, picture of my wife um, from 1980, and it's just an ordinary picture. To me, it has high valence. It means a lot to me. But hmm. someone else coming into the room wouldn't even notice it, right? And that's hmm. what we're all like. We we all have our own past histories and our own sort of emotional responses to different objects. And so particularly if you've had a traumatic experience, mm-hmm. then you you bring those, or, or even really positive experiences, right? I don't want to mm-hmm. always be negative. You're going to bring those past experiences to the objects that represent them. Our, our emotional brain tends to take in impressions and then work by association. So if I've had a wonderful, wonderful trip to Hawaii, right? And I just had the, I met the love of my life there or something, right? Or the love of my life and I went for a second honeymoon. It was an awesome experience. And then I see the, you know, the souvenir that we brought back from Hawaii 10 years later and I look at it. It's like I have the same emotional response of, oh, that was such a wonderful time. That's so I'm gonna. Int- um, so this is really rich, um, and I want to interject because this is why the higher the emotional experience, whether it's if negative or positive, I, I the more often, intense the emotional. The more intense, yeah. The more yeah. intense the emotional experience. So, for example, when we give birth, this is one of the most intense emotionally yes. charged experiences, which is why. I'm, you know, just based on what you're talking about, right? Why it can be so um, challenging for many of us moms, especially if we had a traumatic experience or a disappointing experience, um, to move past it. Yeah. It sh- hold a high level charge. Exactly. And childbirth in particular is such a raw and primal experience. Mm-hmm. It, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine anyone going through without being stripped, like, I guess, literally naked of everything Mm -hmm. so that you're as open and vulnerable as you can possibly be, which means any of the experience that's there is going to make an impression, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, apparently there are, there's some built-in physiological compassion there where allegedly... They secrete hormones so that mm-hmm. you don't remember the pain as badly as it actually is. I'm so not this... sure there's anything doing that for the emotional experiences, right? No, that's very good. I'm glad you differentiated the difference um, because that's true. Um, there is this very weird anesthetic. What's that word? Anesthetic. Anesthetic experience that happens like very literally, very shortly after the birth itself. Um, in which we forget the intensity of the pain of the experience, the physical pain of the experience, but precisely it does not numb the emotional pain of that experience or the psychological pain of that experience. Right. Um, And so what you're saying, I think, is just um, really giving giving permission, giving credit, giving acknowledgement to a how powerful those um, highly charged emotional experiences are and how etched 
they can they land in our being in ourselves and our and, yes. and everything right and so and so sorting that material out and, and in all of its complexity is incredibly important because otherwise that remains its truth does that make sense am i am i articulating it, it, that it, it, yes very much very much and you know i uh, i mean i've been with my wife through the last three of our ch four children's birth so i have a second hand view of the kind of intensity that's going on and I could maybe draw some examples from that, but I wonder if you could share with me some of the kinds of traumas that women leave that experience with, and then we can talk about it from the context of this framework. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, and let's, let's just add a bit of a, um, a warning, I guess, um, that if we're going to dive into some of these examples that it might be triggering for some of our listeners and so, again, it's just really important that everyone takes care of themselves in the ways that they need to and just paying attention to those triggers. And if you need to take a break, you can walk away or if you need to just find your breath, you can find your breath. Um, but that hearing this might be incredibly valuable in one's healing. So I just want to highlight that. Okay. Um, you know, if we... One of the challenges that many moms have brought forward aren't aren't always the most um, horrific experiences that we might deem as very um, horrific as in far as obstetrical violence procedures. Um, you know, it can be as simple as a mom not having the birth experience that she had dreamed and hoped for and planned for for those nine months. And that um, the birth was not unfolding in the ways that she had imagined it would. That resulted in um, the need for some kind of intervention. And um, perhaps she didn't plan for that intervention. And although she's very happy that in the end her baby is healthy and fine and that the intervention did support and result in um, her being able to birth her baby and receive her baby. She's left with a lot of highly charged emotions, specifically grief, confusion, disappointment. So, you know, you'll say those are feelings. Um, <laughs> And, yes, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you're making that distinction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So grief, sadness, we've got that emotion. <laughs> and then we've got some feelings such as um, the disappointment, the confusion. Um, there is also anger. So we have that emotion of anger. And, um, and most importantly, is that there's no permission given to be able to be in that experience because there is an expectation that it's over now. I just want to put it away and I just want to be with my baby because my baby's demanding 24 seven on my attention. And I don't know what to do with what I'm experiencing. Right. Does, is that a good example? Very good. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm having lots of um, sort of there's lots of things I'm, I'm starting to see as I look at that more closely from this framework. Okay. Um, so first of all, in terms of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Well, even if you know what you're supposed to do, 
especially in the first few months after childbirth, you, you probably don't have the time or the resources to do it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. it, you know, unless we restructure the post partum care of mothers, <laughs> after which, which, which we need to, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, then this work is always going to likely have to be done retrospectively. Okay. You, thank you. Know? you. And, yeah. and so, so like anyone who's still suffering from experiences that happened six months or five years ago, you know, like that's totally understandable because once you've put something aside because you can't deal with it, it's very difficult to bring it back up and, mm. and say, especially if you don't have the tools. So that's the mm. other part, right? If you don't have the tools, then even if you have the time, you don't know what to do with it. Okay. So, so I'm going to jump in when you say, um, that it's difficult to bring it back up if you have successfully parked it to yeah. survive. This is a common place that moms get to. It's like, why would I even bother? Well, why do you want to go back to it? Because mm -hmm. whether you're aware of it or not, it's affecting you. It's mm -hmm. affecting your body. It's affecting your relationships. There are experiences in there. Um, in many ways, childbirth is like going back to childhood because this one of the rare times an adult is fully open emotionally. Wow. Right? Wow. So most of our challenges for, for living in the world and any limiting feeling beliefs, we picked up usually between the age, you know, the ages, well, up mm. to five to 10 years old. And mm -hmm. after 10, we tend to get more intellectual as mm -hmm. a dominant way of being in the world. And so we can buffer things and we don't take impressions in, in the same way. And that's wonderful at one level, but it also means we can't update the old impressions that we took in and they're just going to keep being part of our sense of self. So and when you say impressions, can that, can we, um, replace that with emotional experiences? Yes. When I say impressions, I mean emotional impressions, okay. right? Okay. Um, I don't know if I said this last podcast, but it's worth repeating. Any intense interpersonal encounter that you haven't fully experienced and processed will become part of your sense of self or worldview instead of something that happened to you. Beautiful. And right. so I say something very similar, and, and I use words like imprints, and it gives rise to the lens through which you see reality through. Yes, yes. So basically, childbirth renders you childlike in terms of any positive or negative impressions that you take in at that time are going to be deep in your mm -hmm. soul or emotional system, so to speak, and they're going to reshape, they have an opportunity to reshape your deepest sense of self. So let's go back to the experience that mm -hmm. you spoke about, mm -hmm. where the woman had this vision, this mm -hmm. dream of what yeah. her birth experience is to be like, mm -hmm. and then it goes awry. Now you talk about disappointed and mm -hmm. confusion and everything. Mm -hmm. and, and if we sit with that, I would say we could go deeper. Mm -hmm. Right. And I make a distinction between two types of feelings, the uh, interpersonal feelings and the core feelings. So 
the interpersonal feelings you have are like disappointment and confusion. Mm-hmm. And that means that they talk about me in relationship to my world and worldview or me in relationship to other people. So, or can it be that experience, me in relationship to that experience, or is that different? Well, that's, that's kind of what I mean by the world. It's okay. me in the world. Okay. Okay, so slightly different languaging there. Mm-hmm. So I would look at that, and I would say one of the other interpersonal feelings is that I have failed. Mm-hmm. I feel like a failure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And... You know, just, just like sit there, like with, like what a deep impression to have in your system that you had a goal, Mm -hmm. you had a vision and you failed at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then are there any other feelings that co go with it? Is this the first time you failed at a vision Mm -hmm. or is it like the 10th time? And at this point you're starting to like lose hope that you can ever achieve your visions, right? Or, you know, is, and, and then I guess, so, so we've got that sense of failure. Mm-hmm. Is there another kind of feeling, interpersonal feeling that's gone in there? I, um, interpersonal or, well, or the I, I, wanna, I am, the, I, the deeper core ones? Before we go there, I want to see okay. if there's anything else. Because to me, failure captures the majority of that energy. But I'm looking to yeah. see if there's any other nuance. Yeah, there can be. So um, I'm just dropping into, you know, some experiences and stories. And um, so there's, yeah, again, failure. What did I do wrong? It's my um, fault. I, it's I my feel fault. responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or um, a big one is... I set myself up for failure or I set myself up for disappointment. Again, it's my fault, but these are, you know, words. Yeah. Um, why did I believe the natural birthing rhetoric? That was a big uh, one. There's a so big one there. Like it, they lied I, to I, me. I was I, lied to. Right. So I feel foolish. Uh-huh, fooled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel deceived or lied mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Right. And, and so what we're doing, you know, and I I can't do it with you because this is not your experience, but Mm -hmm. it's important to, to find the words that capture all the energy. So we went from, I feel like a failure to, I feel deceived. And maybe someone else would resonate with, I feel duped Mm -hmm. and I feel foolish. Mm -hmm. Right now Mm -hmm. to me, Let's just stop. There. I, I feel violated. So if we go to the ah. one step further where, you know, moms were truly violated in procedures and they internalized it as, as violence against them, right? Now we're looking at, I, I was violated. I was harmed. Um, my power was taken away from me. Uh, they didn't, they didn't listen to me was a big one. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, I had no idea that this would happen to me. Nobody told me it would be this bad. Um, I was alone. I was left alone. I was abandoned. Um, these are these are common phrases. Yeah. So you've just gone now from the bigger context of I had a vision and 
I mm-hmm. failed in it and I feel deceived and, mm-hmm. you know, foolish about it to the inside of the that intervention where mm-hmm. all these other dynamics have gone. And that's where it's important when you're doing this work to try and keep the layers separate. Mm-hmm. So I would first work with that outer layer of the failure, foolish, deceived, mm-hmm. and see if all of that energy is captured by those words. And then once that's processed, I would suggest then you go into the other components. Because if you try and do all of it simultaneously, you just get overwhelmed. Mm. And, okay? and I imagine this is the experience for many moms, right? Not being yeah. able to separate it, not being able yes. to identify the yes. inner languaging, the, the story in which they're telling themselves and well, telling others. And, and you see, the, the, the thing is, like I said, the emotional system works by impressions and associations. So mm-hmm. once you find one hot spot, it will activate all the other hot spots by association. So let's, so Doug, again, I want to um, look at why it's important that a mom be brave to go into that hot spot. Um, let me, I think before we do that, we need to talk about the I am feelings, okay. the core okay. feelings, and then let's it'll become that. clearer on w- why you need to find those feelings. And, so, and I also want to highlight that the, I am feelings identified in my book, um, came from some of Doug's work as well. So just highlighting uh, that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So those, those nine core feelings that we're going to talk about, I found through three years of research with my clients, right? It was a, just briefly a simple process where I, I was doing Gendlin's focusing, which is a body-based way of dealing with pain and um, discomfort, mm-hmm. where you find words that resonate. You use the body to guide you into the right words. And I took the process a little further in that I kept going even once the body sort of stayed in one place um, to the sort of interpersonal context, we kept finding the words and people would start crying. And then I would say, is this the essence of your pain? And if they said, oh, it's close, but it's not quite. And I said, okay, let's keep working. Let's find the essence of your pain. And then to come up with another word, then another word, and it's slightly, yes, this is the essence of my pain. And that, that word, when they said that, I wrote the word down and I did that for three years. And like, literally, I think it was five words the first year, two words the next year and one word in the third year. Mm. And then after that, I didn't find any new words. So Mm. those nine core feelings seem to be the way our emotional brain is wired to perceive our relational status in the world. And, and that's a different part that I won't talk about, but mm-hmm. let's just say, I know these are very powerful words. Mm-hmm. So whenever you find your interpersonal context and when I'm doing this in real time, I don't necessarily say, okay, we're just doing interpersonal and then we're going to do core. I let them come up together. Mm-hmm. Um, interpersonal feelings are really important for resolving relationship issues. Core feelings are what you need to heal your own wound because they're what we store inside us. Mm-hmm. We don't store rejected inside us. We store the feeling of being alone inside us. 
or helpless inside us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we look back at our situation where the person felt like a failure and they felt foolish and deceived, then it's like, okay, sit in that space. And how does that make you feel about yourself? Right. I'm a <laughs> failure. And you just literally say it out loud. I am a failure. I am a failure. And it's like, oh, and I'm going to go straight to it. I feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you just sit with that and you say, I feel inadequate. And normally by the time you're getting to that word, if there's emotional charge on the situation, you'll be crying. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Because now you've opened the emotional system up and you're expressing the pain that's been stored within you for those six months or three years. And literally it's like a cleansing process. It, it discharges the energy and you make peace with it because you've named it mm-hmm. and the expression of it 95% of the time is all that's needed to finish it. Mm, I love it. I love that we speak the same language. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, yeah. And ideally mm. your partner is there holding you mm. while you're expressing it so that when you're feeling inadequate, maybe you're also feeling insignificant or worthless, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the other, because they're, there's often more than one core feeling going on and you, you just need to sit and express each one and you'll feel it afterwards. Not only will your body be more relaxed, Mm. but you will have made peace with the situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, um, that's really good. I'm just letting that, land for our listeners and giving it some space just the other day i was um, at a really awesome event and somebody came up to me and we were having this great conversation and i was talking about having three children and you know all this stuff that i've done in my life and she just was flabbergasted because she kept looking at me going you're not old enough to have adult children (laughs) (laughs) have done all these things and I said well you know I'm about to be 43 and she's like what what's your secret and I looked (laughs) at her and I said I have felt my shit (laughs) yes emotional expression keeps us young it does it you know it's so big in those moments where we are allowing ourselves to be in that expression of the emotion itself and thinking like this is the hardest thing I'm ever going to do and for some of us in the beginning it literally feels like our hearts are breaking open it can literally feel like every cell in our body is being yanked and stretched because for some of us we are stretching because we've lived in that constriction for so long myself included Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was in my mid thirties when the dam of sadness and grief finally hit me. So, you know, that was painful, but then finally afterwards you can move through it so graciously in a pretty short period of time. And then, like you said, have this opening, it's as if, you know, your cells start to vibrate differently and. Well, they, they, they kind of do. 
because there's yeah. a different energy flowing through. And I want to actually speak to that a little bit. Okay. Because you had asked the question of why do we want to do this work? Mm-hmm. Well, because as I said, if you haven't done this work, if you haven't said to, to heal from something, you need two pieces. You need to cry and you need to express the feelings. If you haven't done that, it remains a, an impression in your system. And now every time you go through life and something twigs that particular memory, even if you don't realize it, you're going to get an emotional rush from it. So let's suppose I'm walking around feeling like a failure and inadequate. And then I'm at work and the boss says, hey, we need someone to need a, lead a new project, right? And your first response is going to be, oh no, I've had dreams before and I failed. You know, I'm, I'm too inadequate to take this on. And you might not even be aware of it, but it's going to be triggered because you got sucked into believing you could do something once before. Hmm. Right. That resulted in in that resulted in the failure. And because you haven't processed it, it's becoming part of your sense of self. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. If, if you felt say abandoned by your husband, if he wasn't there for you in the way you expected during childbirth, Mm -hmm. you're going to literally, every time your husband says he's going to do something for you or show up to pick you up, there's a part of you that's waiting to be abandoned again. Mm -hmm. And, and so you're literally living in a chronic state, well, in a, in a state of chronic emotional activation, Mm -hmm. like. If you Mm. don't resolve these things, they're being cued all the time indirectly. And therefore preventing you from not only feeling liberated from them, but actually living the life you want to live. Exactly. Because they're running the show, even if you're conscious or unconscious of it. Right. And when you're, when you're in a chronic emotional activation state, you're always in a sympathetic stress response. Mm-hmm. which means that you're not getting a parasympathetic rest and rejuvenation response. So what does that translate into? You're aging more quickly. <laughs> wow. And so one more question. Um, if you're in a, a, a chronic you called emotional, it a, a emotional activation. activation response, so yeah. in other words, you're basically triggered all the time. Yes. Um, then... Even if you are setting time aside to meditate, yes, are you going to be challenged to gain the health benefits of meditating? Well, let's just say things like exercise, running, yoga, eating well, meditation, they're all ways of coping with the chronic emotional activation. I love this. But they in themselves will never resolve the chronic emotional activation. Because you have to feel it. Yes. Yes. I I wish there was another way around it, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, over the 30 years of doing this work and, you know, 20 as a clinician, like I haven't found another way around it. Mm You know, and Mm -hmm. I've tried because a lot of the community I'm from will just, it's like, it's a, they don't want to cry. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and the only thing I can tell them is, well, actually, technically, you don't have to cry. If you get to second, first or second stage, which is like autonomic flushing and water in your eyes, 
your emotional system will update a penny's worth. But mm -hmm. if you actually go into crying, you'll get a couple bucks worth. <laughs> so, hmm. you know, you can do it that way, but it'll take you way, way, way longer. <laughs> you know, mm. um, mm -hmm. I, I kind of liken the emotional system to a, um, uh, a, a tablet of wax that's got certain grooves in it. And, you know, once you put something in it, everything just flows through the groove and it's just going to stay that way until you heat the wax up, mm. right? And express mm. it. And then the groove goes away and you can lay a new, uh, hopefully positive impression down so that when you start off somewhere, it goes in a positive groove now once it's mm. cooled down again. Oh, that's, that's a nice um, imagery. Yeah. Well, well articulated. Oh, so, oh my goodness, Doug, I feel like we could talk for a really long time. I have, <laughs> I have lots of deeper questions and, and maybe we need to do another um, podcast together. We could even maybe take some examples and just kind of go with them. But I know that we're running out of time because this is going to push our podcast to like well over an hour. Um, yeah. So I'd like to, I'd like to close with what it was you know, that we shared so far, which I think is rich, rich content. And then um, maybe just let our listeners know what kinds of things you're offering right now to help people learn, um, you know, how to be skilled in emotional processing. Yeah, I've made a lot of progress um, starting two years ago, but really it's showing up in the last uh, two months. <laughs> it's taken that long. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've always had what I call the bioemotive framework video series, and it's a really good overview of all the theory we've just talked about. And if you listen to it, a lot of people have reported it's changed their life. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, we also have a self-paced course where we've got modules that you can journal with and go through questions to help you integrate that material. And my daughter is now running, I think what's becoming our flagship course, which is a crash course in emotions, mm. uh, in emotional processing. And it's really good. We put a lot of time into it. It's six weeks. And once you take it, you will have all the tools you need, you know, just from that course. If you buy the theory stuff, you'll have a better idea of why you're doing what you're doing, but you'll have the tools that you need to do this kind of processing. Oh, um, it. yeah, we're, we're also going to be, we're offering what we're calling an online circling community where people can come to share, um, have deep interpersonal experiences and do some healing, but we've made the crash course a prerequisite because we are finding people were coming in there, getting brought to very deep, um, material, but not so many of them didn't have the tools to deal with it. And so we're, we're saying, okay, I guess that's, you know, that's not good. We need to give them the tools before we give them access to that stuff. Um, so we've got that happening and then we're about to put together a course on communications, um, hmm. communication itself. There's a couple of audio recordings that I have for, uh, that if you just literally, if you're upset and you don't know anything and you put it on, it's 10 minutes. This was called, I think, uh, cult, uh, this is my emotional clarity on the go um, anxiety um, uh, processing, processing anxiety. If you put it on in 10 minutes, you will be finding words and probably crying about what you think you're anxious about. <laughs> and just to counter that, I've made something called cultivating confidence. And mm. um, 
it guides you in the same 10 minutes into finding words for positive experiences. And what surprised me about this, Jennifer, was I gave this when I was beta testing it to two or three people that had been doing this work for years. But when they listened to this cultivating confidence 10 minute app, they said, holy geez, this brought me to places I've never been. And I realized I've been ignoring some of the positive experiences in my life and I got them updated and it feels so good. Hmm. Right? This is fantastic. So, yeah. 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 So I will make sure that all of the links are in your bio on, on the podcast. So if people yeah. are interested in any of these offerings, go to the links in the bio and um, you'll be able to dive right in. So I think that there's some great, um, great products there for all kinds of stages and phases for our listeners. Yeah. And, and my website is just called the bioemotive framework or bioemotiveframework.com. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Doug, it was really a pleasure having you on. I, you know, I'm so appreciative of the work that you're doing and your intelligence and being able to have this, this real um, heady conversation with some real good nitty gritty stuff. With real, real good applied exercises in theory. Like it's, not, yeah. you know, I, I, it's very heady, but it's, it's partly it's because a, it's, it's so leading edge, but it's all very, very practical. I mean, absolutely. This, is, this is what I do for my clinical practice. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, so. no, it's wonderful. I think it was very applicable. Um, so thank you again. And I want well, to thank her. Yeah. What? And I just want to thank you. I, I appreciate being asked and I have so much respect for the work you're doing as well, Jennifer. I, I'm just so glad you're there doing this work and helping people deal with these um, kinds of experiences because it's been such a neglected part of our culture and uh, people have suffered alone far too long uh, mm. with that. So thank you for what you're doing. I'm glad I can help. Oh, well, I appreciate hearing that. I want to thank our listeners again for tuning in. And um, this is Jennifer Sommerfeld, your host, uh, creator and author of the Healing After Birth program. Okay, excellent. Oh, that was so good, Doug.